20 years ago this month, I lost a son named Jeff. He died of a drug overdose, a day before he would have turned 23. For years, he had struggled with just living life. Yet in his final six weeks, he started reading his Bible again. He would call me on Saturday nights and ask for a ride to church the next day, saying, Dad, I just want to hear the gospel preached tomorrow. His struggles finally ended when he went home to Christ. I'm Charles Morris, and today on the Great Stories podcast, I want to share with you a very personal, a very vulnerable conversation I had with my wife, Janet, and a counselor friend of ours, Dr. Dan Allender. We spoke together in 2008, nearly five years after our son's overdose. Dan helped us enter back into the grief and also communicate the hope of our son's story. 20 years have now passed. The emotions for me and all my family are still raw at times. But we also know our son is safe in the arms of Jesus. We may not understand everything, but we know that our Lord took our son home. His life was saved by the only one who can truly save lives, Jesus Christ. It's not easy for me to reopen this part of my life, but we have heard from so many that this was a helpful and encouraging conversation that helped lead them to Jesus, even in the midst of their unspeakable pain. So whether you are grieving right now or not, I pray the following interview will bring you hope as you listen. This is Haven Today, and I'm Charles Morris with a different kind of program today, and you'll understand in the next few minutes if you stay with us. Joining me is my wife, Janet, who normally isn't on the program, so I'll say welcome, Janet, and you could say hi to everybody. <laughs> Thanks, Charles. <laughs> but then we're sitting across from uh, someone I don't get to see, but every few years, uh, Dr. Dan Allender. Dan is the founder of the Mars Hill Graduate School in uh, Seattle, and uh, also, I've known him for many years. He's a good friend of a friend of mine, Tremper Longman, that we've had on this program. And uh, Dan, we're going to be talking about saving a life and our losing our son to a drug overdose. And I thought, no way Janet and I could do this without someone like you with us. So can I give you the microphone and you lead us in talking for the next few minutes? It would be an enormous honor to do so. Thank you. And what a courageous thing just to say from the beginning. First of all, to turn your show over to a uh, stranger somewhat, uh, mm -hmm. but as well to enter into this um, heartbreaking, truly heartbreaking mm -hmm. topic that at one level when you say you're not sure the listener wants to remain, uh, it, it is. It's a courageous thing for the audience to choose to stay to hear about the heartache you both have gone through. And as well, the question that has to be there, though we won't ask it immediately, is has there been any redemption? Has there been any work mm -hmm. of God that you've mm -hmm. seen on your behalf and on behalf of others after you've gone through the death of your son four years ago? So thank you both for being willing to have me and as well for speaking on behalf of every parent, every parent who has either gone through this or certainly every parent who fears that this could be one of their days as mm -hmm. well. Mm. So at least to begin with, I'd love for you to tell a portion of the story that uh, our audience may not may not know. Well, and, it, and it's four years ago now, Dan, since it happened, but it's kind of like in the little email I sent out to everyone in our address book uh, on my computer. 
It's one of those calls that's a nightmare that every parent has, but fortunately for most parents, it never happens. But we got the call. And Janet, you can just pick up any time you want here. But we got a call. It was a Saturday afternoon, three days before our son's 23rd birthday. This was our older son, Jeff. And uh, he had been troubled for years. And uh, we couldn't let him live at home. Uh, drug abuse started when he was about 14. And we had done everything humanly possible that we knew to do. And everything we did do, we did on our knees. It was a Saturday afternoon. I recall it was about 10 minutes till 5. Um, I'll never forget the day late afternoon. Our younger son was with us. Uh, the phone call came and uh, Janet picked up the phone and all I heard her saying was, no, no, it's not true. It can't be. Yeah, it was Jeff's girlfriend and uh, she said she was crying hysterically and I couldn't understand what she was saying. Finally, I understood that what she was saying was that Jeff was dead, and I did. I said, that can't be true. And I really meant that. I really meant that it couldn't be true because we had been praying for Jeff for years and just had recently had a real sense that the Lord had heard our prayers. We were anticipating a breakthrough. We didn't know what kind of a breakthrough. But the thought that he might actually die of a drug overdose was the furthest thing from from my mind, because I had confidence that the Lord um, was going to do something in his life. But it was true. We drove the few miles to San Clemente, and when we got there, the the police were there, and the coroner was there, and uh, and Jeff, Jeff was gone. It just looked like a Law & Order show, you know, the yellow tape, the crime scene. And I guess picking up for a moment on what Janet said, every parent who's a believer in Christ, has hope. Uh, you want to see what you didn't have, and of course there's that side of parenting, but you want to see your children have more of Christ than you do. And the last six weeks of his life, he was showing more signs of spiritual sensitivity. He'd call me up on Saturday night, and he, he had lost his car. You know, we certainly couldn't give him a car at that point, but he would call me up on Saturday night, six weeks straight, and said, hey dad, how you doing? Can I go to church with you in the morning? I want to hear the gospel. He wanted to hear Jesus Christ preached and would go with us. And, and But then to get this call, like I said, it's every parent's nightmare, and I've met a lot of other parents since our son died who've gone through a very similar thing. It's not easy, of course, and that is the greatest understatement I've probably ever said. But to think about six weeks of hope, um, six weeks of phone calls, uh, just the thought that your son would want to go to church with you, and, and not just church because he wants to be with you, which alone would be delightful, but to actually know that he wants more of Christ would be a significant breakthrough. So you had real hope growing during that process. Yes, we did. And I we had had seasons of hope before. We truly believed that that Jeff had a, a genuine faith in Christ and he would go through cycles in his life when he um would go through rehab and be off of off of drugs and during those periods all he wanted to do was live for the Lord. But the addiction was vicious, and it kept getting him again and again. And what happened the night that he died, he had been actually um, without drugs for months, about six months. And 
got a, a really disappointing phone call, tried to call some friends, couldn't reach anybody, and, and, and just overdosed, we think accidentally. He'd lost his job the day before. Um, the police he was facing going to jail, so instead of that, there was the, uh, uh, the home system where they put the electronic uh, bracelet on you, and so that had come. And uh, he, he just uh, he, he suffered from depression uh, all his life and, uh, and then would counter that with taking the drugs to help the depression, but then as his psychiatrist would tell him, you can't take this and do the other thing. But knowing that he had to be under house arrest for two months except to walk to work, but he didn't have a job anymore, that prompted him to just call this drug dealer and say, you know, I got a little money here, come by, and he overdosed. That's, you know, how he died, and we got there, and, and it was just an amazing thing. It was very surreal. We were worried, of course, about our younger son at the time. We'd grabbed him and put him in the car with us, uh, and he went down there with us. Janet didn't want to let him off by himself, about two blocks from the beach in San Clemente. Not because I was worried about what he would do, but just because... I didn't want him out of my sight at that point. I felt like he was, he, I just wanted to make sure he was alive and well and within where I could see him and I could hear him. But go, walking down to the beach um, for me was a really, really significant time because um, I just cried out to the Lord to understand why that we had had the sense that the Lord was going to save Jeff. And, and it seemed like Something had intervened and prevented that from happening. But as I was on the beach, I opened the scriptures, and uh, the verse I read said, Their sins are forgiven, and their lawless deeds I'll remember no more, from Hebrews. And I had this overwhelming sense that that was really from the Lord, that the Lord had, in a sense, not caused the overdose necessarily, but had um, transformed it into an intervention. And that Jeff was safe. And he was safe because his sins were forgiven, because of his faith in Christ. And really safe because Jesus died for his sins. And that that was the intervention when Jesus went to the cross. And if, if I can put it this way, you're in the middle of wanting to hang on to a son you can see. Right. While at the same time, knowing that the son you've lost really is safe. I guess that what I felt prior to really feeling like I heard very clearly from the Lord was that something had gone terribly wrong, that the Lord somehow had looked away and while he wasn't watching, something that, that he didn't plan had happened. Um, I think after that point, and I really think this is the work of the Spirit, you know, not mine. Where Jeff's concerned, I think I, I the Lord just gave me... a a, a real deep sense that um, he was watching, that he was totally in control, that this was his intervention in Jeff's life, and that Jeff's well-being is absolute and eternal. And, um, and of course, there are times of grief, you know, and sorrow, and when, you know, we just, I think about the little boy that he was, and sort of put myself back at that time in his life and think, oh, if I if we'd known, if we'd known what you know, what was gonna happen to him and it's it's heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking. But I think in terms of 
doubting the Lord's goodness, I don't think I've struggled with mm-hmm. that. But I but where Peter was concerned, the son who where, you know, Jeff's life was settled at that point. Peter's wasn't. And so that's where probably the fear and the doubt and the control enters M- in. Motherhood kicks Mother- in. Here. Motherhood kicks in. Well, yeah. I, how, again, I go back to the phrase, tell me how it is possible to be so mature that we do not struggle with doubt. Mm. And where that mm. doubt plays itself out at one level, the fact that you were given and that you have enjoyed a certain kind of peace with regard to Jeff's death uh, uh, is both remarkable and glorious. Yet that question would would be in my heart of, you mean a friend was called and didn't call back? You know, it just and I was ready as the dad to just take on the drug dealer. <laughs> that 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 took a while too to get over that. Uh, the fact that you know that wasn't my concern at this point. I didn't have to worry about prosecuting the drug dealer. The fact is, God allowed this to happen in our lives. And he did for a reason. And we also began to have a growing confidence that he wanted our son Jeff safely home. Mm -hmm. That our son couldn't live by himself alone on this earth. And uh, as I believe the Lord has done with many other believers, he said, it's time, you know, I'm going to bring you home. And, And he did. But it also, even beginning there with that verse, as you took Peter down and there aren't even a crime scene. Uh, the sheriff's chaplain shows up. Turns out the fellow knew the Lord. And then another chaplain shows up, knew the Lord. Uh, there, we're at, we had a prayer meeting around our son's body, mm-hmm. even before they zipped up the body bag. And the Lord began a remarkable time of just showing us he was there for us. He wasn't silent. Uh, he speaks to us through his word, just, you know, amazing things coming together, verses that we were sharing with each other, but then friends of ours clear across the country were sharing the same verse, we find out later, uh, at the same time. And then just events, you know, getting home. And, and there's this book that one of our son's friends had been reading, a C.S. Lewis book, The Silver Chair. And, uh, all of these little reinforcements that even when you're saying in your heart, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I think every Christian, if they're honest enough, has said that in their life. Even with that going on in your mind, the fact is you're still being reminded that he is there. He's hearing you. He hasn't left us alone. And that's a message that everybody needs to hear. Well, and I think I think that's partly the answer to your question too, Dan. I think just like in the Psalms, you know, you can cry out to God with whatever you're feeling, whether it's doubt or anger, um, or just grief, or just, you know, what's the answer to this one, Lord? Why didn't the friend call back? Why did Jeff die feeling like he didn't have any friends? And uh, and the Lord really answers. You know, he whether it's through his word or just um, giving comfort to your heart or through another believer, he's really very much there and very real and very present. And I think that's that's one of the things that, and this isn't just our experience, but so many believers have told us that when they go through grief, that there's a simultaneous joy because the Lord is so real and so present. And the realities we believe in 
take on weight in your life. You know, the fact that that Jesus is going to come again and that we have eternal life and death that's been conquered, those aren't just, you know, off to the side nice things that we believe. They're, they become your bedrock reality. Well, you, you found that God is good and that you know your hearts are open and more open to receiving something of his presence. But you also have said that that does not take away grief and struggle no. and doubt mm -hmm. and vengeance mm -hmm. uh, and in many ways the reality of your own fist before God. Yet what you found again and again is that his grace on your behalf uh, has softened your heart to come back to his mm. goodness. Uh, I think there has to be, certainly it's in my own heart, but many listeners who are saying, how? I mean, how? Because we're wondering what we would do if we were called to the same suffering. How, how have you lived mm. so well? Well, we haven't lived so well. Right. That's that's, that's the first the that's that the question. first answer. But but uh, you know when you think you know a lot, Dan, you're a Christian counselor. You teach people who do Christian counseling. There's the stages of grief, but until you grieve, it's totally different. I think. And and when you understand that, uh, another friend of ours, Norm Wright, uh, the Christian counselor. He's probably written two or three books on grieving, but it took his wife dying last September uh, for him to kind of understand it in a whole new way. Uh, and, you know, he said to me, I've counseled, he counseled Janet and me, but he didn't really know about it. But I think one thing, at least in my life, is I didn't really know how to love other people. I think in a whole new way. Thinking of some friends of ours, we actually used to vacation. We, They had two boys. We had two boys and our daughter, who's older, the oldest. He wrote us the most amazing little note, which we included in the book that Janet just wrote and has just released. It was such warmth that he wrote at the time. Well, little did we know that Rink and Marion, a year later, I'm recording a Haven program and I'm in one of these lead-lined, soundproof whisper rooms, they call it. And uh, my cell phone never rings. And uh, my cell phone rang. And it was our Dutch friend from Grand Rapids Rink telling me that their son, who was our late son's age, had been in a traffic accident. And he was normal from the neck down, but his head was just not there. And uh, and he died a couple of days later. I don't think I could have loved our friends to the same extent with the love of Christ had we not gone through what we felt, what we had to go through. And then, of course, it goes back to God the Father. What did he feel like when he allowed his own son to come and die for our sins on the cross? Because it's, it's, it's like a close friend of ours says, it's all about Jesus. Everything always goes back to Jesus. How we relate, because he loved us. Well, you, you've allowed your hearts to come to the gospel again and again and again. But what you're saying is that in certain ways, suffering becomes the only window for being able to see the realities of, of the cross and of the resurrection. And though I think we know that to be true, there is a degree 
certainly a degree in my life where I say, I'd rather have your story be true so that I can profit from it rather than having to go through my story so that I come, come to know indeed what you know. Um, do you find that to be true, that people don't know what to do with you now because of the <laughs> loss of your son? I definitely think, I, I think it's uncomfortable for people. You know, I think that, that they don't know what to say. And then you feel like you've got to, um, at least I do, I feel like I've got to, to fill in the gap, to, to, to put them at ease and, and to communicate to them how um, we're okay with it. I just tell people sometimes it's just, uh, don't mind me if I become a blubbering idiot, start, you know, not unable to control my emotions, but it doesn't bother me and I hope it doesn't bother you. Because... No, but it does. But it, it does. does. It does. And, yes. and given the fact that, again, as I think about your story and then ask, could it be my calling as well? There's almost a sense of, I don't want to catch. You don't want to catch it. I don't want to <laughs> yes. catch whatever yes. it is. And I want to find that there were grave and clear faults that you as right. parents created that caused this. So if I can find a causal relationship, you're both jerks and no mm -hmm. wonder your kid. Yes. Mm -hmm. well, and I'm not a jerk, so I must be then safe. You're well, okay. Well, and we didn't want to catch it either. <laughs> Dan, we can't put our hope in our doing everything mm -hmm. right as parents. That kind of way of thinking is just going to lead to fear every time. We have to hope in the grace that's come to us through Christ. Yes. He is not against us. He is the one for us. And that's what takes our fear away. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Grace and peace to you from God. This is Haven today, and uh, we're coming to you for another day from uh, Seattle, Washington. And I'm Charles Morris, joined again by my wife, Janet. And it's, again, a different kind of program. We're with Dr. Dan Allender, who is a well-known author. He's a Christian counselor. He's the founder of the Mars Hill School. Uh, it's a graduate school um, here in Seattle. And Dan, we're talking about Janet's and my losing our son four years ago. And uh, in fact, um, we've written about it. Janet's written about it, saving a life. But I wanted you to kind of take the big mic in this time together. So well, as thank I th you. As I thanked you both yesterday, I say again today, thank you so much for the privilege of being, in one sense, part of your audience, asking the questions that I hope our audience would want to know. And certainly the mm -hmm. question that we brought up yesterday in terms of mm -hmm. how, how do people deal with you uh, as a consequence? And I asked whether or not you found people somewhat uncomfortable, almost not wanting to catch uh, whatever the disease is that brought about this tragedy in your life. And Janet, you said very honestly that, and, and it's, it's sad to say this, that you at times end up having to comfort others because of their own uncomfortability. Yeah, I think there, it seems like people are in two different places as parents as we talk to them. There are those people who are really, I think, in the process of thinking that they can make everything turn out okay by what they do as parents. And I think we probably, to some extent, um, thought that at one time. But having lost Jeff to a drug overdose... Um, we're more in a position to say we 
we can't save our child. We're, we couldn't save our child. And, and we know we made mistakes. We have regrets for things, about things that we did. But there are people who were worse parents than us whose children turned out fine. It's not a cause and effect relationship. It's really Jesus who saves our children. And he redeems our mistakes and he redeems their mistakes. And most of the parents that we've talked to since this happened are in the second category where they've gone through the kinds of things that, that we have or are fearful that they will. Their children are struggling. They want to get real about what they can hope in. I think people want to hope in what they can do. Uh, parents, you know, I sometimes talk to people who've lost someone they love, like a spouse, or they're in the process of losing someone they love, like a spouse or some other context. They just want to have steps to take. But life isn't like that. The darkness that abounds in the world we live in that led to our son overdosing on uh, crystal meth, whatever uh, is out there, the fact is there is still God operating. And I guess if I could say anything today, and I'm not opposed to reading books on how to raise children or how to be a better spouse, they have their place. But the point is, it always comes back to grace. And grace trumps, as a friend of ours says. That's the trump card, always. And uh, in the life of our son who died, who we believe is with the Lord, we believe he was called home. Uh, and was showing these signs of spiritual interest the last six weeks of his life, we believe the Lord was still operating, even though in the world's eyes it wouldn't look like it because he died of a drug overdose. And uh, we're searching for hope. We all want hope. We all want courage. When the event happens itself, you lose a child. You're not courageous. You're not courageous at all. But that's why we need the Lord, because the Lord, it's his courage, it's his strength, it's his grace, it's his mercies. Well, in one sense, as you're speaking, there really are two kinds of people, people who really think there is something they can do to bring control over their lives, and others who know, on the other hand, that all we can do is to surrender, even if we struggle to do so. And what clearly has happened is, even if you were in that position of being parents who really thought perhaps you could control, you've become parents, you've become people who know that life is found in surrender to grace. So given that, you really are called in the midst of this tragedy to enter into not only your story, but the stories of so many others. So how do you bring the labor that God has brought to you, the birthing of this, if I can use a strange phrase, the birthing of this death is the birthing of a new kind of labor for both of you. What has that called you to? And how is it that you bring the gospel into the lives of people who are like me, who want to hear it, but don't really want to hear it? Charles went on the air immediately and started talking about it. I started writing about it. First of all, I started journaling about it with no intention of ever writing a book about it. But, um, Several people told Charles that they thought it would be a really good idea for us to, to talk about it more because there's so many people hurting. So I ended up writing the story. The only way I could do it was just to think this will never be published. I'm just writing as honestly as I can. And the reason I'm writing is because I want to worship the Lord for what he did. Very surprised when it ended up being accepted for publication. And now... Here I am talking on the radio, and I talked uh, at a women's retreat about a few weeks ago. And what happens is that instead of being able to move on beyond the grief, you end up 
having to enter back into the grief again, which is painful. And yet it seems like it's what the Lord wants us to do. You're, you're having to live death then. Every time you tell the story, every time you write, every time you teach, even today talking on the radio, you're entering into death again. And what I'm hearing you say is that there's a reality of resurrection that requires you enter into death yes. in a very yes. different way than what most of us prefer. We want the story to be, yes, death is there, but resurrection sort of blanches out all the other suffering. But what you're saying is somehow both must be held together in order for resurrection to be most true. Just like Jesus had to enter into mm -hmm. death. Well, I don't like that. <laughs> and, There's and, an avoidance of that. I, I, I can think back, we had thousands of people communicate with us. That doesn't happen often today. One person, I'll never forget, there was a pastor who had lost a son due to a drug overdose. He wrote and sent a copy of a manuscript that he had written on his son's death. And you know, Dan, to this day, I haven't had the nerve to even open the manuscript. That's how he grieved. That's how he worked his way through it. And I find, because I'm more of the extrovert than Janet, and I'm out speaking uh, quite a bit, I'll be at a place and sometimes I'll bring it up, but I never plan on bringing it up. If I do bring it up and just sense I need to talk about it, even in the midst of whatever else I'm talking about, uh, I know there will be a line of people, parents in fear that their child is going to be lost to death or that have. Janet mentioned she spoke at this women's retreat. Uh, there were two or three other women at the there women's were. retreat who had lost children. Yeah, people are looking for hope. They're looking for what they can hope in. And we can't hope in our doing everything right. We have to hope in, in grace, in the grace that's come to us through Christ. That's what takes our fear away, knowing that our mistakes, our sins, and we all have them as parents, they don't disqualify us from God's grace. And we can cry out to the Lord and we can trust that he'll answer our cries. He'll hear our cries and, and rise up and come to the rescue. Yes, Janet, just thinking about that rescue uh, reminds me of the night that our son had died and and we were there for hours at uh, the scene with uh, the sheriff's officers and, and then our pastor and his wife, Ted and Linda, uh, they had joined us at the crime scene. And then when our son's body was finally taken away. The coroner had uh, done the work that coroners do. We went back to our place, and Ted and Linda came with us. It was close to midnight, and uh, Ted had to preach the next morning. We get into the house, and there on the coffee table was a C.S. Lewis book that uh, one of our son's friends had been reading. We had loaned the book, and and I had read the whole Chronicles of Narnia to our kids once. Janet, you had yeah. read the entire series to yes. our children another time. But there on our coffee table was the silver chair, uh, lying there kind of like a phone with a message light blinking for you. And it finally attracted our notice. And so we just remembered the story that we'd read to the kids. And, and zap, uh, suddenly we were just galvanized with an understanding of Jeff's life, but also his death. Yeah. Uh, in that book there, on the coffee table, yes. is the story of uh, Prince Rillian. And uh, he goes out to avenge the death of his mother, but then there's this evil queen who seduces him and lures him into her underground realm, and there are these horrible trolls there, and most of the time he's completely deluded. 
and believes that everything the queen tells him is true, all her flattery and her spin on reality. But just for a few moments every day, when she goes away, he returns to sanity. And uh, he sees the situation for what it really is. And he remembers his true identity. And, and he resists the queen and her enchantments. And, and yet all his efforts are useless because during those lucid episodes, this queen chains him to a silver chair. And try as he might, he can't break out of those chains. All he can do is struggle. And, and But then he desperately cries out for help in the name of Aslan. And that's, of course, the great lion, the lord of Narnia. And that's C.S. Lewis's Christ figure. Well, the point of the book is that Aslan responds to the prince's cry. And, and he sends a rescue party. Well... Remember, Janet, it just suddenly occurred to us that this yes. was the way to think about what happened to our Jeff. Yeah, it was from the Lord. It, it, it all fit, yeah. We didn't find it hard to think of his death as a deliverance out of bondage and yeah. into freedom. And, and that's what death becomes for everyone who calls on Jesus in faith. Uh, to all appearances, death looks like an exit from the stage of life and from what we can see. It's, it's just the final defeat in the battle to live. And in Jeff's case, it seemed like a thief that came early and just stole the few years he might have had. But Jesus' death and resurrection changed that whole scenario. Yes. Death is, is something different for those of us with faith in Jesus. He's changed it into an exodus, out of this world and into the fullness of life. And, and we wholeheartedly believe this and, and could see what a great deliverance it was for our son. And we can also believe that a huge, tragic mistake could in reality have been a rescue. And the rescue was organized by Jesus. God doesn't just come in after the fact and clean up our messes. The Bible shows he's in absolute control. He's sovereign over all things. And he's shaping and restraining and allowing events to unfold in a way that always accomplish his purposes. And we could see how Jesus could have allowed this, even planned it for good. And we could certainly understand where the enemy fit into the picture and how Jeff's overdose could be seen as a deliverance by God out of the hands of a deceiving oppressor. Well, it just made beautiful sense that Jesus would turn his death, our son's death, into a passage out of bondage and then into freedom. Yes. In one sense, what you're saying, if I'm hearing well, is that courage is another form of desperation. It usually comes that way, doesn't yeah, it? it? I does. think, Dan... Do we have the courage to be desperate? Um, do we have the courage to give up really the tragic, if not silly, notion that there is a causality, that if I do well, my children will turn out well? Um, do we have the courage to, in one sense, enter into the relationship between death and resurrection? And in some ways, that doesn't look like courage because it's desperate, it gives up illusions, and in many ways, it's really the core of brokenness. Yes, I agree. It's like uh, the the... the pastor and writer Ted Tripp, who's written Shepherding a Child's Heart, says, most of we parents worry about behavior and we want to get a certain behavior. But what it really comes down to is who do they know and who are we leading them to? Are we leading them to good behavior, a set of rules, or are we leading them to know Christ? And if they know Christ, they're going to be safe. And, and even though they may take wrong turns, I take wrong turns, you know, every day, you know, I have to worry about the sin that wants to creep into my life. But if I'm in Christ and I keep seeing Christ on the cross and what he's done for me, 
that's a courage that I could never manufacture in myself. That's real hope, lasting hope. But it is such a fundamentally different view of what it means to parent, let alone what it means to truly trust. Mm. Um, you do hear then that you're countering what most parents think and feel, at least naturally. What have been people's responses? Well, most people don't want to talk about it. Their own problems. You open the door and then it begins to come out. But I'm thinking just with our son, Jeff, you know, if I look back on the years of his life, the going down and bailing him out of jail early in the morning, uh, or, or him coming home and he's just all cut to pieces just from having been involved in uh, not just the drugs, but being in a, in an accident, but yet he's, he's, he's been drugging himself out of existence in his mind. Yeah, I can begin to think pretty negatively. But I also, I know my love that the Lord gave to me. I also know the love I had for our son, Jeff. And I know the moments, those tender moments, when we could actually talk about the love we had together in Christ. And to know what God did for me in sending Jesus for my unworthiness for my inability to meet my expectations, my parents' expectations, the sin, get the word on the table, the sin in my heart, but to know he still came and loved me. I mean, that you've got to share. You would, have to share. Would it be wonderful that parents would come and talk with you who weren't in the moment of their own crisis? Uh, I think there is a sense in which it is when we're in crisis that a book like yours opens the heart in new ways. And yet, if we were only as courageous as you, we'd be admitting with desperation we're in crisis all the time, a crisis mm -hmm. of needing more of Christ, a crisis of, in many ways, being blind to the illusions that we so often create. You're really calling all of us to a very different taste of what it means to live well on this earth. I think that's true. I think that when we feel secure in things other than Christ, then that's a false security. And it's only when, and we don't choose these things. I think the Lord really does this in our lives. He, he shows us um, that those things that we are trusting in or putting our security in, making the things that we think are giving us control over our circumstances, are really, are, they're just illusions that He is our security. He is our hope. And unless we know that, unless that's where, and, and we vacillate too. It's, mm. you know, we, there are times when we, it seems like Jeff's death is just a tragic waste, you know, just a tragic waste, a loss, a sorrow. The unseen reality that Paul talks about, you know, it becomes the real thing to us again. And it's like we get sane again. And we realize that, you know, we don't have control, but Jesus does. We can't save, but Jesus can. And and anything that we hope in other than him is, is a false hope. And so if somehow we can live in the reality of Christ being greater and living in us today, then we can cope with death. We can cope with whatever Satan sends our way. And that's a gift that believers give to each other. I mean, that gift of faith. Um, there's a verse in Romans 1 where Paul said he, 
he can't wait to see them so that they could each be mutually built up by or encouraged by each other's faith. And that verse meant a lot to us because our friends who had faith encouraged us, put courage into us by their faith as they strengthened our faith. And as the reality of what was true in Christ would fade in our hearts, then being with them just by the power of the Spirit, the reality would be clear again. And I think mm-hmm. that's that encouraging each other in the faith is what it what we're all about as believers. The day our son died, four years ago, Dan, he died in the morning sometime. His body was discovered a little before five by his girlfriend. Uh, we didn't get to bed till one or two, but we just woke up the next morning at six and said, what do we do? It's Sunday morning. And we thought, well, we'd rather go grieve with God's people than to just grieve by ourselves. And that wasn't easy, but we went to church. And our pastor and his wife had been with us till the wee hours of the night. I know he hadn't had his sermon finished because he always finishes it on Saturday night. But that's what happened. And we get there and right in front of us is an elder and his wife. And the elder just turned around and they both were just weeping as we were weeping. And then the elder happened to have the prayer duty to lead in a prayer for the congregation. And he got up and he prayed for us. So the whole body was weeping as we were weeping. That's what Christians are for. We have this gift in Christ that nobody else understands, but nobody else has. But once we have that, we have it together. And that's going to lead us home, just like it took our son home safely. It's going to get us home safely too. It begins now, yes, even though we have trouble always latching on to that all day long. We know from whom our faith comes. And uh, what did Martin Luther say, Janet? (laughs) Only had two days on his calendar, today and that day, meaning the day that the Lord returns. And that reality has become really crystal clear to us. We're living in hope for that day. And we know what that day means. It means that death is conquered. It means every tear is wiped away. And it means eternity of joy together. The fact that there were those who poured in encouragement and faith. Now you have the both sweet privilege, but as well the deep burden to pour that into the lives of so many others. And you have done so in a way in which you've allowed the death not only of your son, but the death of Jesus and the death and resurrection of Christ to be something that then captures your heart to continue to encourage from your own encouragement. Uh, Again, nothing could be more beautiful, nothing could be more tragic, and nothing could be more true. You're right. Thanks, Dan. Dan Allender, thank you for just leading us the last couple of days. There are some people who couldn't listen to what we've been talking about the last two days, but I know there are a lot of people who really needed to hear what we've been talking about. I don't think I can do it, but can you lead us in prayer for those people who've stayed with us for two days? It'd be an honor. Lord God, we are so grateful for this couple, and we are grateful in the oddest sense of the word for their suffering. And I thank you for the redemption you have brought them and the redemption you bring us through them. And I pray for those who listening to this program are beginning to wrestle with whether or not they are parents and people who live for control rather than surrendering to the goodness of your son, Jesus. So we pray, we pray that Jesus, you would speak life into every 
every heart that listens, and that you would speak kindly and directly to where our own idolatry keeps us from being the people that you would wish. Mm -hmm. And then would you breathe tender kindness into us, knowing that it is kindness that leads to repentance. Would you bring us, Jesus, to a taste of you and your death and your resurrection that is sufficient for our day and for that day? May it be, Jesus, we ask that in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining me on Great Stories with Charles Morris. And I'm so thankful Dr. Dan Allender was able to gracefully shepherd us through talking about our son Jeff back in 2008. If you'd like to learn more about our journey with grief and the hope that we found in Christ, check out the book Janet and I wrote called Saving a Life. You can read more about it at haventoday.org. And you can also sign up for our weekly email and get more episodes posted on the blog at haventoday.org. I'd like to encourage you to please subscribe to The Great Stories Podcast wherever you hear your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, please help us get the word out, leave us a good review, and as always, thank you for joining me once again on Great Stories with Charles Morris. Thank you.